the issues that most people need to be aware of when it comes to technical SEO relate to optimizing for crawling and optimizing for indexing. This is Time for Marketing, the marketing podcast that will tell you everything you've missed when you didn't attend the marketing conference. Hello and welcome to the Time for Marketing podcast, the podcast that brings you the best marketing conference speakers and allows them five minutes to sum up their presentation. My name is Peter and I'll be your host as I was in the previous 46 episodes, 45 episodes, because this is the episode number 46. And if you want to talk to me, you can find me at SCOS.SI. I'm an independent SEO consultant, just like my today's guest. I'm very glad to have here with me Barry Adams. Barry, hello and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Peter. Thank you very much for having me. Nice intro. It was great seeing you in, in orbit. Was this your first time being in Slovenia? Uh, no, actually, this is a fun story. My wife and I got married in Slovenia in Lake Bled oh, wow. in 2011, but it was the first time in Porto Roche. I hadn't been to the coast yet. I've only been to the mountains in Slovenia. I was in Bled just two days ago, and me and my wife uh, walked there and we were like, we wanted to get married here, but we forgot about that, right? But of course, we wanted to go to a different location that is not as touristy as Blit is, but it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. It's unbelievable. How it's did a, you it's find it? magical place, magical place. Like my wife had visited it many, many years ago. And when we just discussed where we were going to get married, because she's from Northern Ireland, I'm from the Netherlands, and we wanted a, a neutral location. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody from wherever they were from had to travel. Uh, and so... We sort of arrived at Lake Bled because it ticked all the boxes for us. Uh, we love history, and it has a beautiful thousand-year-old castle. We love mountains. It's it's in the Julian Alps. Mm. Uh, and we love lakes and oceans. And there's the lake, of course, Lake Bled. Uh, and so when we started exploring that, we realized that it was actually quite easy to get married in Lake Bled because they have really good wedding organizing companies there who basically do all the, the, the trouble for you. So, yeah, it was a very easy decision, and I'm really, really glad we did that because it was a magical day. And, yeah, even even now I regularly look back at my wedding photos. You know, we've been married 11 years now, mm-hmm. and I still realize it was just a very, very special day. Yeah, it's, the, the word got out about uh, Blade and now everything goes there. Everyone goes there and it's getting really crowded. So I think we're going to be like the Spaniards protesting against against visitors in the next couple you of years. You need to do what, what they do with Venetia, in Venice, uh, where they're now starting to introduce limits on how many people are allowed mm. on, on the island. They need to do the same with Bled, like put gates around it and only let people in with special permits. Yeah, yeah, I think that's gonna that's going to happen because uh, it's it's in the mountains and because of that it's even more fragile the the nature there. How was in orbit the conference? Oh, fantastic, fantastic conference! A beautiful location. The organizers were fantastic in getting everything sorted for us with the travel, the accommodation. The, the stages were really good, looked really good, um, mm. really good a- attendation as well. I was, uh, yeah, I felt very privileged to, to be presenting there. Barry, um, people probably know you as one of the SEO guys out there, but, uh, you know, I have to do that. You're an independent SEO consultant. Uh, your company is called the Polemic Digital, and you've been doing SEO since 1998. I like to tell that I've been doing SEO for a while, 
but I was 17 at the time, so not there yet. Um, what is there one thing that is the same and one thing that is very different uh, in SEO since you started? Yeah, when I started doing SEO, I didn't realize I was doing SEO. I just had built a few websites and realized they were not getting any traffic. And this is pre-Google days. You know, Google barely started or hadn't even started yet. So it was trying to get listed on the Yahoo directory and, you know, get listed in Alta Vista and things like that. And the thing that hasn't really changed from then to now is you're still maxing uh, pages to what people search for. Uh, maxing search intent, just uh, that Google and other search engines have gotten a lot better at it now. Mm. Mm. But uh, that part is still very, very true. Uh, you still have to, you know, jump through the hoops. I think what has changed drastically for as long as I've been doing SEO is that there used to be a lot of shortcuts. You used to be able to almost, I wouldn't say cheat your way to the top of Google. You still had to earn it to a certain extent, but you could do things that weren't necessarily beneficial for the web as a whole. You know, I used to buy links in bulk to get websites to rank high. And now I'm like, no, nah, let's, let's not even think about that anymore. It's just not worth the risks. And the chances are you're just going to be throwing your money away because those links are either worthless and Google discounts them mm. entirely, or you're going to get penalized off the back of it and you're going to lose your traffic. So you now have to actually do things the proper way, which is actually more fun if you ask me. It's a lot more fun because you you end up making better websites and better content. And, you know, what's wrong with that? I just checked it out. I've, I have a Reddit account, Reddit account that is 16 years old. And I remember why I signed, signed up for Reddit because it was one of the places where you were able to get backlinks easily. Uh, and that was you know, a year after Reddit actually started. I, of course, then 10 years later figured out how it became the biggest uh, the website in, in the US. It's one of the top five websites yeah so th these are the changes that have happened you are now focusing uh, in part uh, on news publishers how is that you're organizing a conference for news publishers and seo how come yeah it's it's an interesting one because when i first moved to northern ireland to move in with what was then my girlfriend and is now my wife one of the first jobs i had here was in-house seo at the belfast telegraph the local mm -hmm. newspaper and i thought i knew quite a lot about SEO already because I'd, by that stage I've been doing it for what 12 years I think uh, and I very quickly realized that for news publishers SEO was a very different animal you know classic SEO is about long-term activities taking many weeks many months to build authority to build content and build rankings with news it's almost real time you publish an article and you get one chance to rank in Google's news ecosystem with that article, which is, you know, primarily top stories, boxes, and news boxes on regular search results. Nowadays, you also have the Discover feed, which gives you a bit more time. But those top stories boxes have a shelf life of about 48 hours for an mm. article. So you get one chance with an article to rank in those top stories boxes, and then you disappear. And if you're lucky, the article might surface again in evergreen content, if it's an evergreen article. But most news articles have a, a window of about maximum two days where they get most of their Google traffic which means you have to do things very differently. You have to make sure you, you maximize those initial opportunities. You get your optimization right at the start, because if you go in later and try to fix it, you've lost the opportunity already. So 
when I started my own business in, in 2014 as, as my own independent consultant, I wasn't initially focused just on news publishers. I took on all the clients I could get, really. But I, I started to realize that news websites were massively underserviced. There were not a lot of consultants and agencies out there who have the experience in news and who know why news is different for SEO and what they need to do differently for news publishers versus regular websites. Hmm. So I started to specialize in that. I was lucky. I, I had a few really good projects as well with some big UK news publishers that that helped cement my reputation a little bit. Uh, so I started doing more and more with news publishers. And I also realized, because I speak at a lot of conferences, as you know, that most conferences for SEO are almost useless for news publishers because they don't learn anything that is directly applicable to news websites. It's all general SEO and e-commerce SEO and not a lot of content at those conferences that is uh, interesting for news publishers and the specific challenges that they have. Uh, so John Shahata, who works at Condé Nast, he and I have been friends for many years and have been talking for many years about news SEO and specific issues to, for news publishers. And he came up with the idea of, why don't we organize a conference, Barry? And I said, yeah, why don't we do that? A conference specifically on SEO for news publishers. So we had the first edition last year where... Uh, we sort of set a goal of maybe selling 100 tickets. It was an online-only conference because it was still in, in, in COVID times. We thought, right, if we sell 100 tickets and we put on a good event, um, you know, we'll have done a good job because we just wanted to create something that he and I would want to attend ourselves. Uh, and we ended up uh, selling uh, over 700 tickets. So we thought, right, we're onto something here. This this is actually that probably is worth doing. So now we're doing the 2022 edition. Uh, it's slightly bigger, more speakers. Um, again, we got really lucky, like with the first year, where almost everybody who we asked to speak immediately said yes, uh, which is why the first year we had speakers from the New York Times, uh, the Atlantic, uh, Mashable, really big name speakers. And this year again, Everybody who was on our wish list to speak, they immediately said yes. Mm. So we have a really good roster of speakers again. And it's specifically about all things SEO for news publishers uh, and all the things that, that news publishers should know how to optimize their articles, optimize their websites. And and increasingly, we're also looking at other audience growth things and uh, you know how to monetize your articles. We're talking about paywalls this year as well. We have a great keynote from Joost de Valk from uh, Joost. Uh, the, the WordPress plugin is uh, is a legend in the industry, and we're really lucky to have him as as our keynote he was speaker on the podcast a couple of days ago, uh, episodes ago. He's he's a really good guy as well, and I know him. So uh, yeah, I was really excited about this one as well. And uh, yeah, we're probably going to keep doing this. We're probably going to keep it online as well, because we had people from uh, fifty six countries attend the mm. first one, and we think that the appeal is that anybody can log in from anywhere in the world. You don't have to travel and fly and go to an actual physical location, which, let's be honest, is fairly expensive and also increasingly, I have to admit, not good for the environment. And we need to try and minimize that a bit. So we're probably going to keep it an online conference and and uh, make it as accessible as we can, not trying to charge too much money, but we still need to charge some money because it costs quite a lot, actually, of course. Yep. to host a conference. The online tools are quite expensive. So, uh, yeah, it's it's... It's, I'm really excited about it. Uh, this is year two, and I hope we'll get to do this for another 20 years at mm. least. Mm. Where can people find it? Uh, we'll add that into the show notes. But Yeah, it's all on the website, which is newsseo.io. 
that is a website, newsseo.io. Uh, it's it's called the remember. News and Editorial SEO Summit, N-E-S-S. And the website is on newsseo.io. All right. Um, your presentation on InOrbit, the thing that we want to talk about was key technical SEO trends for 2022 and beyond. Barry, here are your five minutes. Yes, uh, technical SEO is sort of my thing. I come from an IT background, which is why the technical side of SEO is something I, uh, I, I naturally always enjoy doing. In 2022 and beyond, I think uh, the, the issues that most people need to be aware of when it comes to technical SEO relate to optimizing for crawling and optimizing for indexing. Uh, you know, we talk about optimizing for crawling. To be fair, most websites probably don't have to worry too much about that. It's more if you have a, a really big website, a million plus URLs, you will probably need to do some things to maximize your crawl budget. Uh, and keep in mind that your best mechanism is robots.txt disallow rules because that actually prevents Google from crawling. Um, whereas uh, things like canonical tags and no no index meta tags, they help manage your index, but they don't prevent crawling because Google still needs to crawl those pages to see the no index tag or to see the canonical tag before it can then act on that. So it doesn't necessarily preserve crawl budget. And uh, optimizing for crawling also means serving the right HTTP status codes. So 200 OK for valid pages, 404 or 410 for not found pages, uh, 313 or redirects, et cetera, et cetera. So that the HTTP response matches what you want Google to do with that particular URL. Then the next part is, is indexing. An increasingly important part of indexing is rendering, where Google renders web pages in a headless browser so that it can load all the resources, execute all the JavaScript, and get a good impression of the quality and layout of the web page. Um, things you need to worry about there is make sure your JavaScript is error-free and doesn't interfere with uh, your meta tags too much. Uh, this is one of those things where I'm actually a fan of optimizing the order of your, your head section, especially in HTML, where your, your important meta tags, like your title, your meta description, your open graph tags, your news article or other structured data, product structured data, sits high in the head section. And then any scripts sit low in the head, just above the opening body tag or the closing head tag. Because I have seen quite a few examples where when JavaScript is, is rendered and executed, it inserts invalid HTML in the web page, which makes Google think the head section has ended and the body has begun. And if then there's any meta tags in what Google thinks is the body section, like your title or canonical tags or hreflang tags, Google just ignores them because they don't belong in the body. So you have to optimize your HTML a little bit and make sure your JavaScript loads quite late in, in your HTML code so that it doesn't interfere with the head section. Uh, another part I'm really excited about in technical SEO is SEO on the edge, which is when we have a, a, a CDN like Cloudflare that we use to make our websites globally accessible and fast to load. It also means that we can manipulate web pages on Cloudflare, on those nodes all around the world, without having to change website web pages in our own CMS. Uh, so we're basically uh, optimizing websites on the edge without actually changing the code on our own web servers. And that allows for all kinds of interesting things like A-B split testing, where we can say, right, we have one category of products that we are going to do something slightly different with, and we're going to leave the other, all the other categories the same so that we have a bit of a baseline of comparison of what's working, what's not working. And you see a lot of interesting case studies emerging where people do A-B split testing. 
uh, Search Pilot is a great tool that helps you with that. And they have a newsletter where they regularly publish case studies on what they find works and doesn't work with SEO on the edge. So I'm uh, I'm really excited about that as a, as the future of technical SEO. And I concluded my talk with talking about accelerated mobile pages, AMP, primarily because AMP is dying. And I am very, very happy to see the death of AMP because I am not a fan. You know, if you... Uh, Type in fuck Google AMP in Google, part of my language. My article thanks to rank number one for that particular search. I'm very proud of that accomplishment. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, I think 2022 is the year that we can finally say AMP is starting to really die out. And you see more and more news publishers abandon AMP as a standard entirely because it takes up too, many, too much resources. And it's basically an entirely parallel development track that they don't want to maintain. So... Now, instead, we can focus that effort on just improving Core Web Vitals and not have to worry about having a separate code base for uh, mobile users. So, yeah, that in a nutshell was uh, my talk at InOrbit this year. All right. Excellent. Um, when we talk about uh, the number of, or the percentage of the pages that should be crawled, the, the, the numbers could be, can be checked in Google Search Console. It's never 100%. When or how much should it be there so that we can say, all right, we are good, and when or what the number should be when we should be concerned? Yeah, that's a very good question, Peter. I think it depends on the size of the website as well. If you have 100 pages and 90, only 90 of those are indexed, you probably want to work to get the last 10 indexed as well. If you have a million pages and 900,000 are indexed, I'm like, yeah, probably good enough. Hmm. So it depends which pages. If there's critical pages that actually have value and you want to make money off of, you know, you probably want to work harder to get those indexed. The thing is, and I feel really strongly about this, Google does not have an obligation to index every single page on your website. Google only cares about presenting the best possible search results to its users so that its users keep coming back to Google and Google can keep showing ads. And if they only need one web page on your website to do that, then that's enough for Google, no matter how many pages you actually have. Mm -hmm. Google wants to offer a complete reflection of the web because they feel you know users are deserving of, of getting a broad spectrum of different content options. But they don't need to index every single page on your website for that. They just need to get a good sample of pages on your website. Uh, so for most websites, if you have an index level of 90% or better, you're probably already on the yeah, right okay. track. It, like I said, it depends on the context, on what type mm, of pages. Mm. But if you have uh, less than 90% of your pages indexed, you probably want to see about improving that and also see maybe why Google isn't indexing those pages. Are they actually worth indexing or are they just different lists of the same products or the same articles, in which case there's no added value for Google there? Uh, you have to make sure that most of the pages Google has indexed have value for Google's users, which is, you know, the World Wide Web, all the people who use the World Wide Web, uh, and that there is value in, in for Google in having those pages in its index. And if they're just filler pages or navigation pages that have no ranking potential on their own uh, and have no value for end users, then, yeah, of course, Google shouldn't be indexing those, and you shouldn't try to make Google index those either. Hmm. It's uh, the search console is sort of crappy to analyze which pages are uh, indexed or crawled. Is Screaming Frog with the API the best? Oh, I, I'm using Screaming Frog and the API to uh, make it easier. What are your tools that you think people should be using? 
Yeah, I'm a fan of Screaming Frog, uh, especially with the Search Console API. Uh, it can do those bulk checks to see whether or not pages are actually indexed. Um, I also use Sitebulb a lot. They have an mm -hmm. upcoming server edition, which makes crawling very large websites very easy because you just run it on a separate server and let it do its thing, which also has really good Search Console mm -hmm. integration. Uh, you can use a cloud crawler like DeepCrawl or Botify, which also have good Search Console integration. Um, but yeah, the standard reports in Search Console, like you said, they're not that complete and they're very much based on a sampling of data, uh, which is necessary to a certain extent because of the speed with which they serve up those reports. Mm -hmm. If they wanted mm -hmm. to have a more complete data set, it would be a very slow tool to use. So I'm sort of okay with that. And also that's why we have the API so that we can build our own tools to do the more granular checking that we want to do. Uh, the only thing that I am a little bit annoyed about to a certain extent. Maybe I'm asking too much. I realize it's it's a very big demand, but the 5,000 UL daily limit search console in the API, like uh, for large websites that you don't even begin to have mm. enough resources mm. with that. So um, that's the only thing I think we probably need to convince Google to change to give us bigger limits. But at the same time, I'm realizing we're asking them to make a free tool even better. Right. So, right. you know, beggars can't be choosers as we say here in the uk it's already really good that we have search console and it's a really good tool with a lot of really useful data in there so you know we can't complain too much can we mm -hmm. um one more question on your expertise with news uh, sites paywalls and the schema for paywalls. Uh, how important is that for websites? Uh, it seems that the big biggest publishers are using the proper schema for paywalls, but everyone else or a lot of other pages don't use it, but Google is still seeing the content. How... Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think you should always implement the schema paywall if you have a paywall, uh, because it means Google doesn't have to do any guessing and there's no... Mm mismatch between what Google sees and what users see, because uh, that's a big risk. When you have a paywall and you don't tell Google there's a paywall and you let Google call your content normally, but for end users, you suddenly throw up a registration box or a login box, that's, that's a mismatch. That's not good. And that can hurt you in the long run. That's almost a form of cloaking to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. If you have the paywall schema, Google knows there's a paywall and you can still let Google call all your content. Uh, but with the paywall schema, you tell Google this content is not actually free content. People will have to log in or register. Uh, and generally speaking, what I've seen in most cases, if you have proper paywall schema and you let Google call the website, you tend not to be penalized in rankings. You stand, tend to keep your rankings in top stories and Google news um, because Google doesn't want to be seen as 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 you know stealing your your income. You know they give paywall websites pretty good positioning compared to non-paywall right. websites, especially if you have a a freemium model where you say give people three articles for free or ten articles for free per day, and then the paywall kicks in, which I think is a really good system because it lets people sample your content mm -hmm. before you make them sign up to something. I quite like that as a model, and I think most successful paywalls have a variation of that freemium model where you get a few articles daily for free. So you know, okay, this this is the type of journalism I'm going to be reading. And then you can decide whether or not you want to sign up for that. But yeah, it's always important to tell Google explicitly what kind of 
user experience you're offering. And if you don't tell Google that you have a paywall, you're sort of misleading Google. And that seems a very risky tactic. It's going to go wrong eventually. Um, all right. Barry, if people would like to talk to you or see you at conferences, what are your next shows and where can people contact you the best? I don't actually have a conference planned for the next while, except for the News and Editorial SEO Summit in, in October this year, uh, which is quite nice to spend a few months at home and actually getting work done. It's mm. still my bread and butter. Um, <laughs> I'm very easily contactable on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Badams, B Adams, one word. You can also add me on LinkedIn. I, I check my LinkedIn messages once or twice a week. So it's probably not as effective as Twitter. It's a check every day. I'm a little bit addicted. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, or just email me, uh, barry at polemicdigital.com. I try to be very generous with my time and my knowledge. And I have what I call an open email policy where anybody can always ask me a question via email about anything SEO related. And I'll do my best to answer. Although I might not give you an immediate answer, but they will definitely give you an answer at some stage. All right. Excellent. Um, Barry, thank you very much for being on the podcast and sharing with us uh, all the things that are important or the most important things in technical SEO. Um, have a great day and week uh, up there. Um, please don't be too hot and don't melt in the, uh, in the upcoming heat wave. And have a great day. Thank you very much, Peter. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Time for Marketing podcast. Please go and check out other episodes from the podcast archive or give this podcast a review, maybe even subscribe to it. If you were at a marketing conference and saw a great presentation, please let me know. You can contact me with guest ideas or other questions at info at timeformarketing.com. And if you need any help with your SEO, you can find me at seos.si or just find me at LinkedIn. Have a great day.